Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, joined by my co-host Keith Glasser. How we doing, Keith? Great. How are you? I'm good. Got a special guest on tonight, uh, courtesy of one of our good friends. Made a, a awesome connection for us, and looking forward to to talking to him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick introduction here. Um, he's a, a, a Pennsylvania native. Uh, played his college baseball at Millersville University in Pennsylvania. For those of you who don't know. Uh, stellar Division II program. Coach Sheehan's got those guys humming right now. Uh, he was drafted in the 12th round of the 2013 Major League Baseball draft. He's made his debut on August 14th against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he's got 317 appearances in the big leagues. He's coming off an awesome season where he had 69 appearances and a 1-5-2 ERA. He's a current member of the Toronto Blue Jays, and we're, we're pretty fired up to have Tim Mays on tonight. So, Tim. Thanks for the time, man. Appreciate it. No, no. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to to be on here and and talk some baseball. So uh, let's do it. Heck yeah. Well, let's give. We try to do this, everybody. Give the give the listeners like a little bit of background. Where you're from, and and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Um. So from Pennsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I currently reside in Lancaster. Um. Uh. But. Uh, down here in Florida currently, uh, getting getting ready for spring training. Uh, but no, from from Pennsburg, Pennsylvania, went to Upper Perk High School uh, in Montgomery County, um, and then from there went to Millersville for three years. Um, got drafted at out of Millersville in the twelfth round. Uh, made my my stops along the way through the minor leagues. Um, was fortunate to get to get a call up, um, and then the rest is kind of history. You know, a little some ups and downs in between. I I had Tommy John um, surgery, uh, in 2019. So missed the, the 2020 season, um, which ended up being the COVID season. So somewhat, I guess, blessed that it happened at that time, knowing, knowing what those guys had to go through to get a season in, uh, and then kind of have put together some solid years, um, coming off of Tommy John. Um, but yeah, been, been lucky to, to be with a great organization. And, um, so yeah, just super fortunate. Um, but no, it didn't, didn't happen without some, some ups and downs along the way as well. Yeah. Um, how far are you guys out? We're like, you're like 12 days out from officially starting pitcher catcher. Is that right? Or is it 11 days or, uh, so pitchers and catchers official report dates, February 14th. Okay. Um, but you know, being from Pennsylvania and, and knowing the challenges that come with off season training up there, especially when you're you're trying to get rolling uh, through winters. You know, usually you're all right when when college kids come back and they train with you, and and you might be able to find a catcher to to catch some bullpens early January. But once their seasons get rolling, uh, finding somebody to throw to turns into a bit of a challenge. And you know, it's nice to get down here a couple weeks early, uh, get the family settled in, get your routine settled in, be able to go outside. Uh, I would say majority, if not all, of my throwing is done. Uh, inside and you know usually I'll I'll long toss in a tunnel and kind of turn a hit tracks around that way it gives me a rough estimate of of kind of intensity and and distance on on long toss days uh, but it's nice to get down here a couple weeks early get out of the cold and and touch the mound put your cleats on and and you know get into your your spring training routines nice yeah I mean we've all been through it up north like you can get a lot done inside but you it's just way better if it's a little bit warm and you get a chance to put those cleats on and touch some dirt. So um, I'd love to hear about your recruiting process and kind of what that looks like. Like, well, we help families navigate this process, right? Like, and we have this podcast to try to shed some light on that and, you know, in general talk baseball, but, you know, you've got an interesting path, right? Like not everybody goes from division two to the big leagues. And I, I'd love to hear about, like kind of your development and how your recruiting process kind of unfolded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. Cause I think some of the things that some of the events that I was recruited at, or even kind of jump started my recruitment don't really exist anymore or, or kind of, you know, are looked at as like old school. Um, when I was coming through American Legion, you know, senior Legion was a big thing and, 
and especially where I went to high school, it was huge. Like your entire high school team then just moved into the Legion season together. And that was your summer ball team going through high school. So a lot of the events that now, you know, your world wood bats or, you know, you go to Georgia, you go to Florida. I, I never did any of that. I, I tend to stay local, uh, would hit up New York, um, Diamond Nation in New Jersey, some local tournaments in Pennsylvania. Uh, but, um, you know, through Legion and then we always in Pennsylvania had this thing. It was the East West Showcase. So you would go through a series of, you know, your regional and your events. There was probably three events leading up into the East West game um, that were showcase type days um, where you would run, you would hit, you would throw uh, and college coaches would be there. And that would all lead into the East West game. Um, which would happen over some some at some point over the summer in Harrisburg, usually at at where the Harrisburg Senators play. Um, so that was, you know, I think where I first got a little bit of you know recruitment, and and some teams were starting to to show some interest. And then always in the fall, I would go, and that would be the time when I would play AAU um, over the over the fall season. Um, but um, yeah, and that was that was usually my I would say junior senior year. I I would I was really getting into fall baseball. Um, prior to that, I was I was a soccer player, so I would play soccer, and then you know it, freshman sophomore year, I would say I would sprinkle in some fall baseball when I could, and I would I would go to some some tournaments with some AAU teams uh, when when I when the weekends allowed and when the scheduling allowed. Um, but then from there, uh, was not like this highly recruited guy. I was low eighties in high school for most of the time. Um, and, and I would, I was low eighties probably when I got at the peak of my recruitment. Um, so I had, a some division one offers, um, from, from like St. Joe's and Philly and Hartford. And, um, I, I took a visit to VMI. Uh, but for the most part, it was a lot of the state schools, division two schools, uh, that were, that were interested, uh, which really isn't a bad thing, you know, going through it, you know, at, at, at the time, I think, I don't think I, I my eyes were really open to what division two had, especially at, in the conference that we played and the people that were coming out of that conference. Uh, but then going through it for three years, it's a, it's a great place to play and, and, you know, a great place to, to be able to get to the next level. Uh, so, um, from there, um, you know, a lot, I, a lot of the, the D one saw me as a reliever, um, and, and kind of the one thing I wanted is I wanted to, to, I had a couple priorities that I wanted to set prior to the recruitment process. Just start just talking to high school coach to my high school coach and my parents. Um, cause you know, they're, I think the parents play a big part, especially when you're talking the financial piece of being recruited to some of these schools. Um, so, so they were involved in the process as well, um, to an extent, but I wanted to, I wanted to be somewhere where my parents were going to be able to see me play, not, not in the same neighborhood, but I was within driving distance to them being able to come see me play. Millersville for my hometown was an hour and a half. Uh, so I felt like that was a perfect distance to, on a Friday, Saturday, you know, they can, they can take a drive out, watch me pitch and go home. Uh, and then I wanted, at the time I was a two-way player. Uh, I, I hit and pitched. So I didn't, I wanted the opportunity to do both. Not to say, you know, it, it lasted maybe a year, year and a half at Millersville until the velo started to spike. And, you know, my eyes were kind of open that, Hey, I might have a, a shot at, at, you know, turning this into something, um, and really wasn't aware of, of what it could turn into. Um, but then, uh, I, the biggest thing for me was I wanted to look at into a school that, that was going to not hand me playing time, but at least I would have the chance to earn the playing time and compete for playing time. Um, you know, some of these big schools and, and it's, it's great. If you want to go to a big school and you want that big school feel, that's, that's great. That really wasn't, wasn't me. And I wasn't someone who was going to have the patience to kind of just wait my turn at, at an opportunity. Um, and Millersville was, was the place that we settled on that, that coach Sheehan, you know, he, I think he does a great job at giving all his players, whether it's freshman or senior, it's the guy who's going to perform is the guy who's, who's going to play. And, 
if it's a freshman who turns out to be the junior and senior, then then so be it. But um, I want I want at least that opportunity to to go in and and compete for some playing time right off the bat. Uh, was fortunate to do so. Um, ended up starting all three years there, um, and then and then getting drafted. and And at that point, I moved into more of a relievers role. Uh, but coming out of high school, fastball fastball changeup little bit of a slurve, but, but it really wasn't, wasn't anything special. Uh, and then even in college priorities were, were fastball change up with a, with a little bit of a breaking ball just to keep guys off balance. When you got there, you talked about having that velo spike, right? And obviously that played a role in helping you get to where you are now, but you know, a lot of guys obsess over the velocity and, you know, rightfully so, like we all know it matters. Um, but was there anything like, what was the thing that kind of checked a box there? Like, was it, you just got in the weight room, you just started to, to dedicate yourself more to it. Like it was a, the, the system that you guys were in, like anything that you can like put a finger on in terms of like how that actually happened for you. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when you look at all those things combined, I think they all played a part, you know, coming out, I was, I was probably six to let's call it one eighty. Um, so really was, was kind of thin. Um, but had some room to put on some weight and, and it was, a, I think it was a combination of, I, I got into a weight room routine. Um, and I was, it wasn't until college where I was really just baseball only and committed to baseball every day and the, and the craft and, and the stuff that goes into being a, a, a good baseball player. Um, so the weight room routines definitely were, were influential. Um, when I, when I, Summer going into freshman year, I kind of I sent an email to she to Coach Sheehan and I just asked, "Hey, what what do I need to do to be prepared for the fall season?" Um, and at the time, nobody really knew weighted balls um, or their benefits or or anything. You know, you heard weighted balls, and I think at the time everything was negative about it, um, and people were kind of scared to implement weighted balls in in fear of like hurting hurting a guy's arm. Uh, so his, re- his response was, you know, max long toss three days a week, come in, pull down phase. Um, so, so I started doing that, started really gaining some arm strength. And I think just all encompassing when you look at the weight room routine, being able to put on some weight and then also getting on a pretty regimented throwing program, uh, when you put them all together, I think they all, you know, attributed to that, to that velo spike. Um, and the spike was, you know, I'd say I was probably 81, 84 when I was, when I was coming out and then freshman year, you know, I was like 86 to 88, sophomore year, 88 to 91, and then junior year, 90, 93. And I would, I would touch a 94 if I was feeling good during a game. So it wasn't like it just all clicked. You know, I went from 81 to 91. It was very gradual, small increments, um, that, that, you know, over time got to, got to be, you know, 10 plus miles an hour increase on, on a fastball. Did you end up having to change how you pitched a little bit when you got that velo or do you think like not being, cause I've seen some guys who weren't high velo guys who, when they had that jump, it actually really benefited them because they had some of that pitch ability early because they couldn't get guys out by just throwing it by them. Like, do you think that be curious just to get your thoughts on like how that velo jump kind of incorporated into your, your pitch mix and, did it, did it change how you attack guys or do you feel like you benefited from not being a high velo guy early on? Um, I think, I think if anything, it, it, it helped for sure. I, I don't know if it changed exactly the way I pitched. Obviously I could, I could use the fastball a lot more, but I used my fastball a lot in general um, and just kind of relied on moving it around. Um, but uh, I would say it just, I, I benefited from the extra velo spike because then I could start, really pitching with the fastball and knowing that it was a pitch that I can, that I can throw past guys. No, that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. What, um, when you got to college and me and Keith have both experienced this, like Keith was the head coach for, for five years. And, you know, I, I coached for a decade too. Like some guys make the transition really easy and they get to campus and they're able to settle in and for some guys, it's a lot more difficult. Like anything that you ran into in that transition period when you were getting on campus that was kind of eye-opening, um, or did you feel like you were pretty prepared walking onto campus? 
Um, I think I think there were some some difficult transitions, um, more so from a routine aspect. You know, your your first winter, your or first you know once fall stops, that first you know off season training at the college. So so I guess you're in November when you're waking up for six a.m. lifts. Um, that's kind of a bit eye, of eye opening stuff. And, and it wasn't so much, you know, obviously the baseball, there's, there's a little bit of a learning curve and, and making that jump from, you know, high school to college when, when you're talking about playing with, you know, 22 year olds, um, 20, you know, when you're, you're 18 and you're just like, man, like I'm playing, I'm playing with men, you know, like these guys are grown up. Um, so there's a bit of a curve there, but, um, I think from, a routine standpoint, that's where I had to, to speed up, you know, my, the curve even more is like learning what the day to day was going to be like when you think about class, study hall, practice, how do you get your weights in, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, that was where I think was the, was the toughest part. Um, cause the team in general, you know, I, again, it, it's, I was so fortunate with where I ended up and in, in the program because at the time Millersville, you know, we weren't the division two, they weren't the division two powerhouse that they are now. It's funny. I look at the arms that they bring in and I'm like, coach, would you even have recruited me? <laughs> had you had a program like this right now? Um, so we, we joke around about it because I'm like, you don't have an 81, maybe 84 lefty stepping on campus anymore. It just, you know, so, um, but no, I was fortunate with the program, with the guys that were there that, um, the seniors were great at at taking freshmen kind of under their wing, showing them the ropes and and really teaching them. I think that's that's huge is when you have a core of guys who are who are willing to kind of take guys under their wing and show them how things are done at the school as opposed to just being out there on your own. And it's like, you know, here you go, freshmen, learn learn on your learn by yourself. Um, I could see situations like that being tough. Um, but you know, there was a great group of guys and we had a great freshman class that that really bonded and and understood that we were going to kind of go through the learning curve together um and i think i think that was that was huge is just kind of that culture that that has been built there and kind of welcoming freshmen and and instead of pushing them away kind of welcoming them in and showing them how things are done there i think that's huge i mean it's Understood, overstated probably nowadays you'll hear everyone talk about culture but I, I don't think it's Millerville's not where they are now without that culture being instituted a long time ago I mean coach Sheen is in my opinion one of the best coaches in college baseball um, <clears throat> but I, I wanted to kind of go back briefly for um, you mentioned you played soccer um, I don't know if you played a, a winter sport too um, but I, I wanted to just kind of see, get your thoughts on, you know, what do you, what do you think being a multi-sport athlete for as long as you would like, how do you think that benefited you? Um, even when you got to college or even, you know, now, like all the athleticism that goes into that stuff, like, you know, cause nowadays you have so many people that want to specialize early, you know, what, what do you think it like for you personally, how did it benefit you? Yeah. Um, so to start off, I, I think I, I played a bunch of sports growing up, like youth sports, you know, like I, I was a roller hockey player for a little bit and then, um, played soccer. I played flag football, never played, you know, I played tackle football two years in middle school, but, um, was very bad. So kind of got out of there quick. Uh, but high school, I was, I was soccer for two years, freshman, sophomore year. I was four years in of basketball and then four years of baseball. So basketball and baseball were, were the two sports that I enjoyed enjoyed the most. Um, and, and I think, I think looking back, it's like, it was nice going kind of, even, even with two sports, I felt like, you know, in the fall I was playing baseball on the weekends and I was doing basketball during the week with, with basketball practices to get ready for the season. So after school, I'd, I'd go work out with the basketball team. And at night I'd, you know, a couple times a week, you'd get together with the AAU team, have a practice. And then the weekend you'd play tournaments. Um, so I felt like it was a great kind of change of pace, um, where it wasn't just baseball, baseball, baseball training, whether it was, you know, in the weight room, oh, you're training for baseball. And then, you know, every day after school, you're doing something. I, I enjoyed the change of pace and, and at the same time, I enjoyed staying competitive. Um, 
So it wasn't like there was a break in, in that switch getting turned off where, oh, I'm training for development. It was, you know, I'm training for baseball, but I'm super competitive with basketball right now where that fire was still being, being um, instituted, you know, from, you know, I, I wanted to win in whatever I played. So I think that kind of helps me that I think along with the, the various different athletic abilities you need for, for each sport and, and kind of becoming the total package. When you look at an athlete, uh, I think from a competitive side, it helped me the most because I was just competitive all year round. There was never a time where I wasn't trying to, to beat another team or beat somebody in, in a sport. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, because I mean, specialization is obviously something that's going on nowadays. And we get asked this question and, you know, I don't necessarily know what the right answer is. Um, and I, and I think sometimes it's hard for Andy and I to kind of parse through that a little bit. Cause both of us were three sport athletes, you know, like I played football, I wrestled and I played baseball. So like, it was, you know, I feel, I feel the same way for me growing up. Like, I mean, I played a lot of sports, but I like, I was, your football is my basketball. Like I was horrific at basketball. Like, I got cut in second grade, yeah. and back. Um, but like you know, I, I, the the the, comp, the the compete aspect was always there. Like I wanted to win in whatever it was I wanted, or whatever it was I was doing. I used to joke with my guys yeah. all the time, like guys, like if I'm playing Scrabble against my grandmother, like I, I'm going for blood. Like I'm trying to win. This, yeah. this isn't. <laughs> I don't have that off switch, um, you know. But I, I think it's important for kids because that you know and. I think Traz said it the one day, like our sport is is super hard to be able to try to replicate the comp, the compete factor in, in like practice. You know what I mean? Like it, it's a little bit harder to do. And I think if you can find other ways to not necessarily step away from baseball, but at least still be able to compete in other things, like can keep that going. And while giving you that refresh that I, I think younger kids need, because I think sometimes you just kind of, you know, I love this game, but like, we know as well as anyone, like it can get kind of boring if you're just throwing bullpens and going through your long toss and hitting in a cage all the time. It's like, all right, well, like, when are we going to play? Um, you know, I think some kids like that's where you see a little bit of the burnout, you know, aside from some of the other stuff. But, you know, I think that that's where some of it can come in because you're not, you're not always competing in it. And, and I think that that's what, like, when you go to play something, like I believe like you should be competing in it. And that's where I think a lot of the fun comes you know, I think sometimes that gets sucked out of it a little bit when you, you know, kind of specialize in things. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's like this, like you said, it's such a tough question to answer. Like, oh, should you play multiple sports or not? And it's like, well, you kind of like want to become the best all around athlete. And in order to do that, you might need to compete at multiple sports. But then it's like, well, am I risking not being as good at one sport if I do multiple sports. Uh, and it is a, it is a tough situation. Um, and I think it gets, it's easier, I think at the youth level to be like, Hey, we're going to stay active. We're going to do multiple sports. You're going to play something in every season. Uh, and as you kind of climb, climb the ladder and, and get to high school, I think it becomes real tough, um, anymore to be a multi-sport athlete, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, and some of it is, some pressure I feel like from, from some programs where it's like, Hey, if you want to be on my field and if you want to start, you, you got to be committed to this program. And that that's a full year commitment. And I don't think that's the right thing to tell a high school athlete either. Cause Hey, if I want this kid to be, to be an athlete, and if my best players are all around the best athletes, then in order to do that, they're going to have to play multiple sports. And, um, and obviously it's easy for me to say that coming, I, I went to a smaller high school. I think our class was two fifty. Um, in our graduating class. And, and it's, I, I get that there's a challenge when you go to some of these bigger schools at you're fighting. Not only do I need to compete in order to stay on the basketball team with X, X amount of guys, but then I have to do it all over again in baseball and I have to stay just as sharp in both. Um, so I see the challenges and, and I, I just, yeah, it's, it's a very tough question to answer, but I think, up until high school, you should try and become the best athlete um, and see and see where it takes you. Because um, at the youth level, you know, you're not your college scholarships not going to come at age 12, you know, so it's like become that the best all around athlete as, that you can and, and see where it takes you.
Yeah, and I think, I think parents this, sometimes uh, they don't get scholarships at age twelve, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I th I think there's some like you might face some adversity in some other sports. Like you might be good, but you might not be the best. Like you might be one of the best baseball players in your sport or at your school, but you might be the you know fifth best, sixth best hoops player. Like there's some yeah. adversity there you're going to have to work through in order to get a little bit more burn. And I think you know. To your point, when you're talking about when you get to campus and you're 81 to 84, and then you know you go through the like, there's a lot of things that that change. Yeah, it's incremental, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Like you don't just wake up one day and you're throwing 88. Like you have to actually go through that because you get on campus and you're like, wow, I like you said it. You're playing with men. It's the same every freshman in campus who goes and plays baseball. Like at some point during your freshman year, you're gonna be like, whew these guys are, I'm playing with men here, you know? And I think like, if you can face a little bit of that adversity sometimes, like you, you know, I, I think you're better suited, you know, if you do end up going and playing, whether it's baseball, college baseball or not, like if you go play college hoops or college football or wrestle, whatever it might be, like you're gonna face adversity. And, you know, I think some of that, like if you can learn that at a younger age, I think that that can be a little bit more invaluable for kids as they go through, you know, their college recruitment process and eventually ending up at a school. Yeah. And, and the multiple sports aspect, again, I keep going back to this and it's like that competitiveness. It's like when you step on campus as at a, at a freshman, as a freshman and you're trying to compete for that spot, well, guess what? You might have to beat out a guy who, who is bigger, stronger than you because he's been there four years and he has the routine down and he's gained his weight. And so it's like when you're faced with challenges, how are you going to, how are you going to rise to them? Um, and you know, I think that competitive edge of, of you know, there's no season off in in terms of being competitive and, and whether it's collectively as a team or whether it's individually, like your goal is to to beat whoever it is you're playing against. And it's similar to to going on campus. And, you know, it's you got to compete for that spot like they're, it's not going to be handed to you. So you got to rise up and you got to face adversity and you got to overcome those challenges. And and sometimes playing all these sports is is a way of doing that. You know, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think this is a good segue question based off of what we're uh, the the topic we're on. But what you know, the the differences in high school and college. I, I think we've covered a, a lot on this podcast, and, and you know, we can get into it a little bit more here too. But like, what like what are the differences from college to pro ball that you like that you saw the things that you had to kind of go through and figure out to find the success that you you know you've obviously been able to find at at that level yeah yeah um <laughs> it's funny because i like i had two of probably the worst years of pro ball i think anybody could ever have you know i had like a seven through my first two years of pro ball um and it was like as much of the learning curve is in college. I think it, it gets sped up twice as fast in pro ball. And I don't know if I was, again, I got drafted, but I don't know if I was ready for that. Um, just in terms of like stuff wise and, and command. Like, I think I was really good that junior year at, at Millersville and at division two level, but I don't think stuff wise and being, fine-tuned I wasn't prepared to move on to to pro ball and I really had to like I really had like a sink or swim type of moment after my second year um I had gotten sent down and I finished up you know I went two weeks without even t being in a game uh it was just like bullpen work and stuff like that and and eventually I got kind of brought in um last week of the season and the pitching coach was like listen you got you got to show us something like we can't keep doing this, um, you know, having, having these results and, and you're just like hanging on, you know, you kind of got to show us something that, that proves that you're worth keeping around. Um, and, you know, I was kind of, I was on the chopping block, you know, it's, um, so it was a very sink or swim type of off season, completely like refine my delivery. And, you know, I had these long arms and legs and I was just kind of gangly and, and like, you had limbs just coming at you and I really had to learn how to like control my body, shorten some stuff up, uh, and went into, went into that spring and had a really good spring, uh, saw, saw the velo tick a little bit. You know, I think I, I entered pro ball and I just like pitched scared 
to be quite honest. And, and I think the velo took a dip because of that, just lack of confidence. You're getting hit around all over the place and you're like, man, like just get it, just kind of place it in the box type of thing. Uh, which, which didn't make it any better. So I wasn't attacking guys with my best stuff and really went into spring as like a, Hey, I got to give this everything I have. And if I'm going out, I'm going out, throwing 95, 96. Like if, if they're going to release me, then I need them to release me on, on terms that I'm willing to accept and go home with. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, those first two years of just getting pounded were not, were not fun. Um, but again, it, it was kind of like, you know, I, I want, it was a big challenge and a big mountain to climb and, uh, just was able to refine some things was fastball slider. And I was always forcing slider guy up until I got, um, till right before I had surgery. And then I started tinkering with a two seam and that's all I throw now. Uh, but had to, had to really refine my command, had to get it in the box, you know, in the zone and, and really attack guys with my best stuff. Um. And then just kind of built, once you have some good outings and you're able to kind of build confidence that, you know, it just keeps snowballing. And, and I just like kind of, I really rode that wave uh, in low A. I uh, got a spot start because unfortunately one of our, our pitchers um, couldn't start that day. So I got a spot start and, and really had a really good game, probably my, my best game up to date in pro ball. And rode the wave in the high a had a great high a season um went to double a and i thought that was the toughest level because i felt like i was performing at a decent at a decent level but then i got there and you know another like learning point where i just had a rough month uh so it's 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 been interesting up until 2019 I had had, I had been demoted once every season. So you're talking 2013 to 19. Um, I, I had taken my lumps and, and I had gotten demoted every year at some point, uh, up until 2019. So, um, yeah, there are some challenges, some adversity, but I was just, it was kind of like a game of just constantly adapting to what the level has to offer, what the hitters are showing me at each level that, it's, it kind of opens your eyes to, man, I, I didn't realize like I was getting away with this. So now I got to work on something new in order to combat what the hitters are showing me at each level. Um, so it was never a finish. I think at baseball in general and pitching in general, like the product is never finished. Like you're constantly tinkering with, with something, whether it's like a new pitch or it's tinkering with your delivery or it's your arsenal or it's the way you attack guys. Like there's this cat and mouse game that I just really enjoy of, okay, the hitters are, are doing this to me. Okay. How am I going to combat that and do something different? Um, so that was looking back, it was like, um, a tough journey, but it was also awesome to kind of come out on top and, and really look back and see how far I've come and all the tinkering and all the adjustments, um, that I've made in order to, in order to, to make it. Yeah, you mentioned you found that slider, but you, you also mentioned that when you got to college, you were like fastball changeup. Yeah. Like, I imagine, you know, like you pitch out of the bullpen now left-handed, like that slider has got to be something that probably had a significant impact on your ability to get where you go. Like, how, how did you go about developing that considering that, you know, when you were in college, like it really wasn't something that you went to. Like, it was that one of those moments where you're like, shoot, I need to figure out how to throw this thing. Or was it something that kind of came along slowly? Um, a little bit, a little bit of both. Um, I think I've, I think I made maybe three starts in pro ball and, it, and, and two of them were, were rough and one or, and one of them was, was decent. But when you moved to the pen, it was kind of the first conversation we had um, with pitching coaches was listen, a lot of relievers anymore. Like it's hard to find one that's just fastball changeup. Um, all of them have some form of breaking ball. And, and at the time they're like some form of hard slider. Uh, so it was, it was a development, um, kind of like heading into the off season slash throughout, uh, my low a year in 2000 and it would have been 15. Um, where it kind of really started taking on, um, and it started off as just playing catch with it, um, 
I even borderline long toss with it. And I don't know if I would recommend that, but uh, I was at like 90 feet probably. And I was just like stepping behind and trying to feel that shape and feel like myself commanded a little bit. And, and it started off, I would say short and it, it even the harder it was, I felt like the more it turned into a cutter. Uh, and it was, it was a, it was a hard slider paired with a hard fastball. And, and that was kind of some of the, some of the, the things that I learned when I, got called up was, man, everything I throw is, is hard. You know, how can I create some separation from fastball to slider to keep some hitters off balance? Uh, but up until that point, I was, it was hard fastball, hard slider. Um, and I, and it was just a matter of like throwing it, playing catch with it. And I, I had to throw it a lot and I had to throw it with some intent, um, in order to get some, some authentic shape on it, um, to learn how to, how to kind of tinker and, and fine tune that pitch. For all the, the young pitchers who are listening to this, uh, it takes time to make some of these adjustments. And I think we're in a day where that instant gratification is is something that, that kids want. But, you know, it might not take a six-week offseason with your pitching coach to really find what you need to do and, like, being able to stick with something. And, I mean, it sounds like you spent a lot of time trying to make that pitch what it is today, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a big piece of your repertoire. Am I right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, so it's a piece that I, that I use. Um, it's hard. It's, it's tough. Cause like I, I came off the past two years where I'm like, you know, 75 to 80% fastball. So I use my fastball a lot. Um, and then, but the slot, like you need something to complement the fastball and, and it took time and it's still taking time. Like I'm trying, I'm still trying to fine tune it. Um, I'm trying to make it a pitch that, um, you know, has, has some more depth and, and, you know, some more separation in, in velocity off, off of it. Uh, but no, it's, it's definitely taken time and it's still, like I said, I, you, there's still always this tinkering and it's still not a finished product. Um, and I'm, you know, hoping that, but it, but it is, it is something that I have to use. Um, just, just with, you know, who you're facing and, and, you know, I can't just go out there and throw hundred percent fastballs so so you need something to to pair off of it and i felt like something with with some depth and um no it's i'd say definitely the past two years it's it's come along really well in terms of having the shape and the velocity that i that i want to uh but was definitely not something that that kind of just happened overnight um that it took some took some time and and took some some hours on on the mound and in the pen and just really having to to throw it in order to see it and, and really fine tune that, that type of pitch. Yeah. I think you touch on something there that is important in, in baseball, like aside from the incremental increases that you're going to have to get in order to have find success at where you are, like the, even just throwing your slider and catch play is something where you can get the feel for it. You know, like I, and we were talking pre-show about someone we know who pitches in the Yankees organization, um, like I've literally watched him long toss a hundred times in my life and he long tosses with his changeup. Like there's a reason that he can throw a power changeup and it's good. But like for him, it's constantly getting the feel at a further distance to see where it is. But I, I think that, you know, I, to take it a step further, like from a coaching standpoint, this is why like you can get so much done in just your throwing program and, you know, either tinkering with stuff during your throwing program, or if you're a position guy working on stuff during your throwing program that you're not going to work on during practice, that you can kind of get a couple more things done that day that is going to get you that kind of incremental percent better at what it is that you're trying to do. Um, you know, like, you know, I know at Columbia with their catchers do catch play where like they're working on, you know, they're literally working on throwing down to second base or third base and, and tag plays at home plate during their throwing program, because that's not stuff that you're going to be able to cover every day at practice. But if you do it every day in practice, like you're going to eventually get to be pretty good at it. So when it comes in game, it's just kind of second nature. But I, I think that the, you know, the idea behind being able to just, you know, grip a two seam slider and start throwing snapdragons left and right and getting swings and misses, like, it takes more time than just doing it three or four times in catch play. And then once in a bullpen, like it, it's, it's a constant process of, of understanding where you're at and what can get better with it so that you can continue to kind of feature it and get outs with it. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think like uh, you get there's sometimes you get young pitchers and they're like, hey, I throw five pitches. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, why don't we take three and just get really good at throwing those three as opposed to as opposed to five. Um, and you want to you want to really have three. You know, I would rather have three plus above average pitches than five average average pitches. You know, I don't think I. it's a challenge for me, at least when I think of even mixing in a third pitch. You know, I'm a two pitch guy. And even when I think about adding a pitch, it's well. How am I going to use it? You know, if I have two pitches that I rely on and I add a third, it's like, okay, in what situation am I going to use it? And in what situation am I going to be confident enough to use it? Um, so those are just some preliminary challenges that I think people face when they go about, you know, finding a pitch or, or adding a pitch even. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, I think one of the things we we run into with high school guys, and I know that college guys, they, they get on campus and they're like, well, I got a two seam, I got a four seam, I got a breaking ball, I got a slider. Then you get them on the track, man, and you're like, dude, you got two pitches, man. They're all like your breaking balls are the same and your fastballs are the same. Like, let's dial in on having two really good ones. Like it's something I've talked about with Eric a bunch is I'll send him data and he'll walk me through, like, here's what I'm seeing. And a lot of times he's like, Hey, there's no separation here. Like you kind of got to pick one side of the table and like tell this kid, Hey, scrap the breaking ball and let's really focus on the slider because that's got some promise. And you know, sometimes narrowing your focus allows you to be more successful in those spots. And I think that's kind of what you're driving at. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I think if you narrow the focus and then you really work on fine tuning those, those things that you want that, that are your focus. So if you're a two pitch guy, it's like, okay, command it, you know, and, and really make that your thing and hone in on what your, your game is. If you're a four seam splitter guy or, two seam slider guy, like really hone in on what, how you're going to attack hitters and, and go command those pitches. I'd love to hear a little bit about the the day in the life of Tim in the, in the off season and in the in season from like a preparation perspective. Cause I think uh, how kids prepare, I think is something that they have to learn and understanding that like, if you got to start on Saturday and I know it's a little bit different for you right now, being a bullpen guy, but what do you what do you do to make sure that you're good to go on game day? I think is something that gets missed a lot when we focus in the recruiting process. It's all focused on the result in front of the coaches. And I think sometimes it gets lost that if you've got to start on Saturday, that Saturday start is usually dictated by what you did Sunday through Friday. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit kind of how you prepare during the offseason and then kind of like what your process is during the season to make sure that you're ready to go and, and go out there and compete for when they get, when they call your, call your number. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with the off season just because it's kind of like, what we're just coming off of. Um, I'm in, so I'll take probably two weeks off, uh, completely off. And I feel like it's, it's getting shorter and shorter with, with age. Um, so I, I mean, I just turned 32. I was talking today with our strength coach just about, you know, the off season, how, you know, even the two weeks off, I feel like the on-ramp is just like a little tougher to get going after, after having two weeks of, and I'll just sit around and do nothing. Like I'll, I'll move around, have play some golf or, you know, walk around and, and go on hikes or whatnot, you know, just, just whatever it is to keep, keep myself moving. Um, so I, I was even talking to him today that, hey, I think what might be beneficial is the end of the season, taking a one week like deload, like off ramp, one week completely off and then starting the on ramp. So I guess it would be one week out of the year where I'm off throwing. Uh, but no, this this year I took two weeks off and then I'll usually start with three days a week. I'll I'll throw baseball. Um, and those other two days aren't aren't off. I'm still going to the gym five days a week. Um, and, and I'm lifting, I start off with lifts three days a week, throwing three days a week, but the other two days are, are movement days where I'll do plyos. Um, I'll do some water bag stuff, uh, some water ball drills. And then, you know, eventually, um, it'll go to four days a week of lifts. And then, you know, I'll, I'll probably pick up a baseball five days a week. Um, once we, once we start getting into it and, 
and there's a phase where I'm just doing some, some, uh, like delivery stuff. And, and I enjoyed the water bag and the water ball drills, um, to really kind of hone in on some of the delivery, um, th- delivery issues that I, that I might see or things I want to clean up throughout my delivery. Uh, and, and I'll do that with the water bag, water ball, and, and I'll touch that probably three days a week, I would say. Um, and then I'll, I'll go through a phase where it's just like an on-ramp phase where it's a month. And then I'll go through another month where, um, where I'm long tossing and I'm, I'm building. So, uh, long toss. And then on Fridays, probably some pull downs, um, or some, some running guns even. Uh, and I, I think that's the best way the, you know, there's running guns where, you know, guys are pulling down one one I'm not one of those guys. I'll, I'll get up to like 97 on a running gun. Um, I love it in terms of like measuring intent, um, having a gun cause it's a radar gun on you. Cause it's just, it's tough to, and, and part of it's like a competitive thing, right? Like we're making the atmosphere competitive to where, you know, there's, there, there's a handful of us that are going through running guns and it's like, all right, who's, who's going to be the guy today. Um, so I think it's a great job of, of kind of measuring, measuring intent. And then that'll lead into, uh, bullpens. So my bullpens will usually start after the new year. Uh, before the new year, I might do some short box stuff where I'm at like 50 feet and I'm, I'm feeling the slope and, and I'll have one of those, those black targets with the white dot, um, sitting there and I'll, I'll use that as, as my target. Uh, and then I'll, I'll go, I'll go into a bullpen where bullpens down here, um, they're Mondays and Thursdays back home. I was doing them Tuesdays and Fridays and I'll have one day. So Mondays are usually medium days for me in terms of throwing. So I'm getting out to probably 150 to 180. Um, and I'm coming and I'm coming down and it's not full intent, but I'm at least, I'm at least bringing it in. Um, so 150 to 180 Tuesday is max long toss pull down leading into a pen. Wednesday is a light day. So I'll play catch at like 60, 75 feet. Thursday is usually a, a moderate medium day. Um, same thing, 150 to 180. And then Friday, again, max long toss, pull down into a high intent bullpen. Um, and that's kind of the week in terms of throwing. Uh, I do different plyos depending on what what the day is. Um, on lighter days, it's probably reverse reverse throws and pivot picks and some other days I'll, I'll implement some of the other weights and, and get off a slope and do some windmills, uh, and some, some other variations of, of weighted balls with, with the, with the various weights. And then, um, for lifts, it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and it alternates upper, lower, upper, lower, uh, with some form of cardio going on those four days as well. Um, so pretty, pretty packed, uh, but my, in terms of like prep in order to get ready for that first time I throw baseball, uh, it's usually 45 minutes of foam roll, uh, some stretching, uh, and then I go through a dynamic warm up, and then I'll go through my plyos and water bag stuff for about 15 minutes, uh, and then get into picking up a baseball. So you're talking a full hour prior to even touching a baseball, uh, and getting into your throwing program. Um, but that's that's the off season um in season it's it's a little different just because of the the volume of of throwing kind of picks up um with the amount of the amount of times that you have to be ready to go um the the jays i think do a great job at at mod- at keeping an eye on our throwing load um and and keeping an eye if we go back to back unless they're very short appearances usually you're down that third day um whether they're short appearances or later in the season, um, you might, you might all hands are kind of on deck at that point come September. Um, so in season, my plyos usually, unless I am down or unless I, I haven't thrown in a little bit, my plyos usually are just reverse throws, pivot picks, and I go into catch play. Uh, and that'll, that'll vary. You know, I, I'm kind of on my own during the, not on my own, but, um, just, it's not as structured as the off season because you don't know when you're going to throw as a pen guy. So if you've thrown two days, it's going to be a super light day that third day and you might be down. Um, if you haven't thrown your throwing load might be a little heavier because you need to throw more in order to prepare 
for that for the the game. Um, so whatever throwing you have to do, and that's why you know here we like to pair up with guys who who think the same way in terms of the throwing distance. That way, um, for the most part, you're on the same page. Um, and then if I hadn't touched a mound in in two days, I usually get off the mound and I will I'll throw like a ten to fifteen pitch touch and feel to a catcher just because I want to get off the mound. I'm a guy who who loves getting off the mound um, and who, who I feel like I'm more prepared and I'm, I'm sharper the more that I touch, touch the mound, even if it's for a few pitches here, a few pitches there. And I actually prefer the mound over a flat ground. Um, so if I had the choice every day, I would just get on the mound for five to 10 pitches as my flat ground. Um, obviously some, some cases are, you, you don't have that, that opportunity. So, so flat ground, but but I enjoy um, kind of getting the flat ground or the mound and, and seeing the ball um, kind of, again, creating as much of a game atmosphere for those five to 10 as I can. That way I, I get a gauge of maybe where I'm at that day. Yeah. The, the down the mound stuff seemed, I, I've talked to Eric about this a bunch and he's a big believer in that too, that like if you can get on the mound and you're not overstressing yourself, that there's just a ton of value of being able to get down that slope and like feel your body move down that slope. So um, it seems to be more of a trend. I mean, shoot, it wasn't longer like 10 years ago that pitchers were running distance and like you threw flat grounds and the only time you touched the rubber was when you threw your bullpen or you got into the game and the throwing as a whole and the preparation, you know, you're talking about, having an hour of preparation before you even pick up a ball. Like it's come so far. And I think it speaks to the level of preparation you need to have in order to be successful. Um, and it's, it's something I think young guys, you know, not that they need to have your routine, but I think it's important them to hear from guys who are at their absolute top of their field. Like, how do you get ready to go throw a baseball? What does your off season look like? Because they can implement some of this stuff. Um, and I think it's important for them to hear it, especially if they've got aspirations of playing in college. So that's, uh, it's always interesting to hear how guys prepare. So very cool. The, the last question we usually close out with is, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but I, I want to hit it on two spots. One, we usually ask if you were going to give some advice to some student athletes on the recruiting process, what would you give them? And I thought you had some really cool insights about how you went through it. So I'd love to hear some advice there, but the other one would be about the development, right? Like your development timeline took you a couple of years to become the guy who got drafted by the Blue Jays. And I'd, I'd love to hear if you got any advice from folks from a recruiting perspective and from a development perspective. Yeah. Uh, man, the, the recruiting side, you know, it. I think you got to find out, you know, what you got to prioritize what you want in your college experience. Um, I think that's, that's the, the, probably the biggest thing is like, what, what school do you want to go to? I think you have to be realistic, realistic in your expectations with, with what you're looking at and, and where you see yourself in the spectrum of D1 to D2 to D3. I think you have to be open-minded to the thought. I, you know, even myself and I think everybody, everybody who, who, plays baseball and thinks college is realistic wants to be that division one athlete and you want to go to the the best and the biggest division one schools um so i think you just have to be more uh you have to be open-minded to to who you are at that point not to say that you're not going to go to college and and take off and and become awesome and and that's that's realistic um but i think i think for the most part, go somewhere that that fits that fits you, fits what you want in your college experience. And and you know, I myself, you know, the competitor in me wants to go would want to go someplace where where I have a shot at playing. Um, you know, the and it kind of goes hand in hand because the development piece can take you really far, but in order to get good at at the game and good at your craft like you have to play and you have to compete um so i would i would prioritize going somewhere where again i'm not saying go somewhere where you're getting a hand in playing time but go to a to a program that's a going to challenge you and b going to going to allow you to compete for some some playing time right away um 
you know, so do, do your homework, um, figure out where you fit in that spectrum and, and, you know, kind of go from there. You know, there are, you know, there's some D3s that are better than D2s and there's some D2s that are probably better than some D1s. So, um, I think it's about having, having that opportunity to play and having a program that, that fits your personality and fits what you want out of that college experience. Um, you know, from a, from a development side, it's, it's just, it's come so far, you know, in terms of the, the technology that's, that's there. Um, so, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, but I think the speed at which you can get better is, has come a long way just to, from a pitching side with Trackman and Rapsodo, like you can find out what your arsenal is and figure out like, Oh, I, if I, I throw four seam now, but the ball date is not great. Maybe it's worth me test the two seam, um, and, and seeing what happens there. Uh, so I would say, you know, kind of be, be patient on the development side. Again, the, I, I am an impatient person myself, so it's hard for me to, to say that knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who, you know, if I'm testing out a new pitch and pitch one, it, it's not great. I'm like, all right, we're done. We're done. I'm over it. But, um, you know, for it is, it does take time and, and it does take, um, you know, just, just daily efforts. Um, and, and it's like, how can you get that 1% better each day at your, at your craft? It's kind of like, you know, everybody says it, but I think that it's true in, in some aspects is every time you pick up a ball, there should be a goal and there should be a way for you to get better on that day. Um, and just, just be honest and, and self-coach and, and yeah. So, uh, anything else you guys wanted me to touch on in terms of development? Um, I kind of like went, went through them, but, um, the no, self-coach piece, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Cause I, I feel like a lot of kids and, you know, even, even college guys, like they're, they're so reliant on getting feedback from other people. And I think there comes a time as a player where you have to be able to self-coach and you have to be able to self-adjust, especially in those in-game moments, um, you know, where you need to be able to make an adjustment and you need to recognize what you did with a certain pitch so that you can self-correct. And I think that self-awareness and, and getting really comfortable with what you do and how you move and the things that work for you. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, but we had um, JP on a couple of weeks ago and, he was talking about not being cookie cutter about things and understanding that people do things different ways. And I think it's important for, for the player to get comfortable with what they do and really understand what works for them so that they have the ability to make those adjustments. So self-coach, that's a, a great cue for kids and a great cue for players. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I think results kind of breed some confidence. There is, there is some aspect to that where, you know, I could do all the development stuff and I can try to hone in on my, on my repertoire all, all I want. But if at some point, if, if I'm not, if I'm not getting the results that I'm looking for, then how am I supposed to be confident in, in my craft and, and this, and the, you know, and, and it's, it's tough, you know, I, everybody wants to do well. Everybody wants to to have great results. And, and I think that that's where the technology piece can kind of come in. Like, man, I, I threw that pit. I'm throwing this pitch great right now. Like, why is it getting hit? Well, maybe, maybe the ball data on it's not great. You know, maybe you're, you're just not made to kind of be that four seam guy. You know, I wasn't, I was pumping four seams for, for years and then, you know, kind of got up there and, and got touched a little bit and, and realized, man, my, like the, the ball date on my four seams are very average. And, and here I am trying to throw up in the zone with an average four seam and, and it just, just wasn't working. So that's when I dove into, to throw in a two seam and, and it had good action and, and I was getting good results and, and the combination of those two then, then bred more confidence in it, um, to the point where, where I use it, you know, all the time I scratch the four seam and, and that's just like a personal, you know, instance. And that's, that's, you know, a, a st- personal story, but, um, but I think the, the development piece is out there. I think there's a lot of places that have some real good tech and, and real good coaches that, that can help. Um, but again, you have to, you have to trust what you're doing out there. You know, the, 
the uh, the tech and the coaches aren't the ones throwing the pitch. You know, you got to be able to, th- to throw the pitch and, and have confidence in, in whatever pitch you're going to throw. And I think they're, the, it's all just there as a, as a way of helping you um, kind of create that, that arsenal and that repertoire that, that is going to get you the most success. Yeah, and I think you touched on two things and the the recruitment piece that we talk about a lot too. The everyone wants to chase the division one, whatever, um, and play there. And I, I think that it's it's a it's a phenomenal goal to have. I mean, I, Andy and I talked about this. Like, we're we played division one baseball. Like, I don't identify at thirty seven years old as a former division one student athlete. And I don't know, like, to your point uh, at Millersville now, like, I don't know if I would get recruited to play at Marist right now. Like, it's it's changed a little bit. <clears throat> but going somewhere where you're going to be challenged and you're going to be able to develop it and find the right fit, I think, is a huge component of it, which is what we try to, get, you know, get through. And the other part is, like, there are Division three schools that are better than Division twos and ones. And there's a lot of Division twos that are better than Division. I coached Division two baseball for a year down in uh, Alabama, and it was, like, I'm an upstate New York guy. I've said this on here, but I like went down coaching the Gulf South. We were sixth in the country. Like it's big boy baseball. Like there are a lot of really good players that are playing division two baseball. And I mean, I mean, shoot Millersville's had 10 draft picks under coach Sheehan. Like I, we will have him on this podcast eventually. It's a, 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 a goal of Andy and I's, but like, there's not a lot of guys out there that in any division that can say that they have 10 major, you know, 10 draft picks that are currently playing right now or coaching, excuse me. So, you know, I, I think being, you know, your, that culture that you talked about earlier and like, if there's 10 draft picks, like there's a, I'm assuming there's a ton of pitchers of the year and, and um, players of the year, like you, you're walking into a hyper competitive environment where you're going to play super competitive baseball and you're going to compete at a national level, which I think, you ask anybody if you're going to go play college baseball and compete nationally and, and win championships, like ultimately that's what you want to do. Right. Like, and we have this conversation with people all the time, like, Hey man, like you go to that school, but you know, it's going to be really tough being 10 and 45 for three or four years. Like you also have an opportunity to go to this school where you can, you're competing for championships and playing in regionals every year. Like your college experience is, is a lot better at a, in a situation like that because you're going to get more out of it um and be able to compete at a super high level and i think that that's something that gets lost when people just try to chase the divisions and don't necessarily necessarily understand how competitive division two baseball is and how competitive division three baseball is because it's at the end of the day you still have to be really good to play college baseball and you know i i think sometimes people kind of get caught up in the numbers and 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 all of that stuff but you know i'm happy that you said that that it was more you know go to a place that's going to challenge you and and somewhere where you're going to be able to develop. And, you know, Millersville is obviously that place, but there, there's a lot of places out there that are not, you know, your traditional division ones that, you you know, everyone kind of thinks of off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, this is, you know, I'm on here, I'm telling kind of my story and my, my recruiting experience. It's just like, if I, if I was good enough and I had the opportunity to go to the ACC and SEC and play some, some meaningful baseball, I'd, I'd jump at it. And, and there, there might be some people here who, who have those offers and, and that's great. Um, it just wasn't in the cards for me. And so, you know, you got to rely on, on kind of, you know, really doing some homework on some schools and seeing where you're going to have the best chance to develop and become the best player you possibly can. And if, if that's one of those big time schools, then, then kind of kudos to you. And, and on Friday nights, you know, I might be a little jealous, you know, you, you're, um, but yeah, it's, it's, everybody's experience is going to be, is going to be different. Everybody's going to get recruited by different schools and, and the coaches are, are watching you and they're making judgment calls based off of that game. And the next weekend you might, you might have a, a great weekend and, and other schools, you know, are, are going to be knocking. Uh, I think one exercise that I did that I felt like was great was, you know, I sat down by myself and then my parents also sat down by themselves and just created pros and cons when it came down to two or three schools that I was deciding on. And, um, and, and that kind of, that gave me my space. And, and I felt like I was able to sit in my bedroom, create pros and cons list without somebody telling me, you know, what they thought and I could do it. And then my parents could also do it without me 
trying to convince them of a school. So I always felt that, like that's always a good exercise to kind of get that stuff on paper um, and and look at it um, when it comes time to to make that that decision. Well, can't thank you enough. You know, obviously, we wish you the absolute best of spring, man. Like, we're super thankful that Eric connected us. Um, I know he loves you to death, and he thinks the world of you as a human being, and that's all we needed to know. So we, I really appreciate your time. Like, can't thank you enough. I know you're in the middle of getting ready for spring training. So, um, yeah, man, really appreciate it. And best of luck this spring, best of luck this summer, and hope you have another fantastic year. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a pleasure and, uh, you know, glad, glad we were able to connect and yeah, this has been awesome. So thanks for having me on. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Talk again next week. Thank you for listening this week. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and smash that like button for us. Check us out on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EMD baseball. If you want to find out what me and Keith do to help families and players navigate the recruiting process, go ahead and check us out on emdbaseball.com. Take a few minutes to check out our new online academy. I promise you'll get some good information out of that. Thanks again for listening. Check in with you next week.